Thank you. Thanks very much. Great. Thank you, Jeff, and uh, thank you. Good evening. Ah, oh, it is so good. I get very moved uh, uh, when I, you know, saw all those wonderful brothers and sisters being introduced. None of us have got it together, but together we've got it. And uh, it's, you know, we, we have a, a, a global gospel for a, a global world because we have a global God. And uh, it, it's just great. And uh, I've loved sharing um, with the Anglican Institute. Achille and I has just been... We've been so blessed uh, having time sharing with people um, from around the world. Um, and Peter, he's really an original, isn't he? I, t I, I told him that he's got potential. And, um, you know, if he just keeps doing what he's doing, he'll go far. And, and his remarkable wife, absolutely remarkable wife. You know, behind, behind any... Any minister uh, who's, you know, being blessed by the Lord, there's always a surprise wife behind them uh, because it's always, it's the grace of God, isn't it, that empowers us and helps us to do uh, what we do. Um, well, thank you so much uh, to um, Jeff for hosting this evening, to St. Philip's, and also um, asking me to speak on evangelism, uh, which is right up my street. Um, you know, many Christians today have taken literally what Jesus said to three disciples, see that you tell no one. <laughs> you know, many Christians today are like Arctic rivers. They're frozen at the mouth. And, um, and, and you think, goodness, what is going on here? Um, look, a missionary is not someone who crosses the sea. A missionary is someone who sees the cross. That was really good. That was really good. You're going to get a lot more of those, a lot more of those. So if any of you do social media, I'm Canon J. John. So if you do any social media, let's go viral and go global. So just say, you know, where I'm at St. Paul's with at Canon J. John, and then put little quotes and go viral, go global. I, I like doing this. Let's just do it. Um, you know, repeat that after me. A missionary is not someone who crosses the sea. A missionary is someone who sees the cross. You see, in the words of the Apostle Paul from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the love of Christ compels me. So when you've encountered the cross of Jesus and you're empowered by the resurrection and his Holy Spirit, the love of Christ compels you, compels you. My, my wife and I, Killy and I, we've got three sons. Um, when uh, our firstborn he was two, nearly three. Uh, Killy and I, we went with him shopping. We were in a department store. We were in the basement. He was with us. He was just kind of pottering. We were looking. The next moment, he's not there. <gasps> Where is he? And it's like, Michael, 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 Michael. We couldn't find him. And it's like, wait a minute. He was there. He was there a moment ago. Now he's not there. And you're where's he gone where's he gone and we're both shouting michael 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 
And we thought, there's no way he could have gone up the stairs because he was there just a few seconds ago. So then you think, goodness, has he been snatched? You think the worst. So I, I said to Killy, I'll run upstairs and you just keep looking around here. And I ran upstairs and I'm stopping people. Have you seen a little boy? He's got a blue jacket. No, no, no. So I went to one of the, the reception counters and I said, listen, I've lost my son. And they kind of stared at me. And I said, have you got one of those microphones where you can speak to the, the department store? Yes, they said, I have. And, and I said, let me have it. They said, you can't use it. I said, give it to me. <laughs> and they were like, ah, like this. So I jumped. I literally jumped over the counter. I climbed and jumped over the counter. And I got hold of the tannoy. And I said, all shoppers. Please stop shopping. <laughs> we have an emergency. And I noticed that people didn't stop. And I said, excuse me, stop shopping. There's an emergency. A little boy. He's nearly three. He's got a blue jacket. He is lost. Look around now. I couldn't care less what people thought of me. Why would I worry what people thought of me? Why would it concern me that people would think, who is that stupid man? Why would that concern me? I've lost my son. I don't care if people think I'm an idiot. I don't care if they think I'm a fool. That's the kind of analogy that is used in the Bible to inspire us and encourage us to seek and to save the lost. People who do not know Jesus are lost. And so we read in Acts 1 verse 8, when the Holy Spirit was given to the first disciples, the first followers of Jesus, and when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, what... Acts 1 verse 8, the Holy Spirit empowered them to be witnesses. The Greek word for witness, marturia, from which we derive the word martyr. So it, it actually is costly to be a witness. It's going to cost you something to be a witness. So Acts 1 verse 8, the Holy Spirit came to empower us to be witnesses. And then we have this strategy in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What did the first Jerusalem represent to the first disciples of Jesus? Well, that was the place where they denied him. Peter denied Jesus publicly. Where were the disciples at the crucifixion? Only John was there. So in effect, Jesus was saying, I want you to start in the place of your greatest failure. Where is that for us? Family, friends, neighbors, colleagues. That's our Jerusalem. Those with whom we have a common kinship with, family, friends, those with whom we have a common community with, neighbors, friends, those with whom we have a common interest with, 
that's our Jerusalem. You know, churches often encourage people to go on a missions trip. And I, I'm, I'm positive, yeah, let's go on a missions trip. But I also say, let's go on a missions trip. Walk next door. It's cheaper. You don't have to spend a year fundraising. Go on a missions trip. Just walk next door. You know, of course, it's occasionally it's quite all right to bypass Jerusalem, bypass Judea, bypass Samaria, let's go to the ends of the earth. But listen, let's not forget our Jerusalem. Now, I've been in ministry for 40 years, uh, and evangelism, you know, is my calling. Um, I, I've, I've studied it. I've lectured on it. I've written about it. And I've concluded, really, to kind of distill it down, let's just do three things. Let's become far more intentional in doing three things. Become more intentional in praying. Become more intentional in caring. And become more intentional in sharing. One, praying praying. Did you hear about that church where um, this businessman bought the building that was attached to the church and was converting it into a nightclub and a 24-hour bar? The church were horrified by this, so they had an emergency prayer meeting. During the night, lightning struck and it burnt down the building next door. The owner of the nightclub-to-be sued the church <laughs> for causing the fire. The judge was about to start the proceedings, and as he began the proceedings, this is what he said. This is the hardest case that I have ever had to judge. And the reason is, I have got a nightclub owner who is convinced that God answers prayer. <laughs> and I have got a church that doesn't. <laughs> Look, when we pray, coincidences happen. When we pray, coincidences happen. Ah, oh, there's just so many stories that, that one could say. Do you know, one of my favorite stories is of this Scottish missionary in Africa. And um, after a long season of ministry in Africa, he goes back to his sending church in Scotland to report and to call more people to the mission field. So there's a meeting, a midweek meeting, in order to do this. And he, it's a cold, dark, wet night. And he arrives there, and he's just discouraged as he sees who's there. There's about 12 people there, all elderly people. And his heart, oh, you know, there's no way these people are going to be able to come to Africa. 
and he's deliberating. What should he do? Should he do what he prepared to do, or should he speak in a different way? He said, no, I'm going to tell them about the needs in Africa, and I'm going to tell them that we need more people to go to Africa. That's what I'm going to, I'm going to stick with my message. He didn't know that up where the organist was, who was playing the organ, there was a little boy that was helping the organist with the billows to kind of put the air in. And the little boy heard the message. And at the end of the message that the preacher preached, the preacher said, who will go? And the little boy stood up. He says, I will go. That was David Livingstone. That was David Livingstone. And then he found out what he could do. And he was told, look, if you become a doctor, that will help you. So he becomes a doctor first. And then he ends up going out there. He spends years reaching people, introducing people to Jesus. And he tries to reach this tribe. And um, uh, he encounters a lot of obstacles. And the tribe leader sends a message to him. And the message said, tonight we are going to come and we're going to murder all of you tonight. And he kept a diary, David Livingstone. And you can see it in his diary, how he's writing, Lord, how can our work end? We, we, we've worked and we've, we've served you. How can it end tonight? And there's an element of slight fear not faith, a bit of discouragement. Anyway, they didn't come and kill them. And they didn't know why. Years later, he eventually reaches the tribe and the chief, and they all get converted. And David Livingston asks the chief, you sent me a message that you were going to come and kill us all. He said, yes, yes. He says, well, you didn't. He said, we came. We came to kill you, all of you, in your compound. But when we came to the compound, there were 39 giants that surrounded the compound. So when we saw the 39 giants, we ran. Anyway, years later, David Livingstone returns to his church in Scotland to report on the work in Africa. He tells that story. At the end of the, of the meeting, this elderly gentleman comes up to him. Dr. Livingston, Dr. Livingston, that story you told about the giants. I have my diary here. I have my diary here. Do you remember the day, the date? He says, of course I remember it. He says, was it this date? He said, yes, it was. He said, look at my diary. There were 39 of us here praying for you. I could tell you so many stories like that. <laughs> you know, this, I've, I've researched this story to, to make sure I'm not fabricating anything. You know, wow, it just really inspires you. When we pray, coincidences happen. Now, my wife and I, we pray. We have a list. We've got, uh, currently on this list, we've got 42 people that we pray for to come to know Jesus. These are relatives, 
neighbors, people that we encounter, connect with in different places, in our Jerusalem, in our Judea, and we are praying for them intentionally that the God will open their eyes, that God will open the eyes of their hearts, that God will melt their hearts, that the Lord will send Christians into their world, that the Lord will give us access, that the Lord will speak to them in dreams. How do most Muslims come to faith today around the world? Through dreams. It's like, okay, well, let's pray for some more dreams. You know, and we are praying for these people intentionally, intentionally, that they will be reached for Jesus. And my wife and I, we, uh, we like walking and we try, uh, we try, we're not legalistic about it, but we try to walk 10,000 steps every day if we can. And, you know, a bit of hit and miss, but, you know, we're pretty good. Often about five times a week we get it done and we go for a good walk and it's a prayer walk. I mean, we walk because it's good for us, it's good exercise, uh, but it's also um, a prayer walk. And we are praying for these 42 people. We are praying for our Jerusalem. We are praying for our Judea. We are praying. So we will often go for a walk where we live. Okay, so where we live. And in fact, these last couple of days, we've been walking and praying around these streets. We've stood outside all the churches and we've been praying for the leaders and the staff, and we've been praying revival here. It's been wonderful, just walking and praying. So where we live, we walk and pray. We walk and pray. We walk and pray. So on one occasion when we're walking and praying, and we're like, your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, we need an awakening. Lord, we need a revival. Lord, come, Lord, come, Lord. I see this woman, and I said to Killy, Killy, is that the woman that lives like six doors up from us, who's a single mother. Is she the one that's got a sick child? And Killy says, I think it is. Okay, now, when that happens to me, there's always a battle. Shall I? Shan't I? Can I be bothered? Can I not be bothered? Have I got time? Have I not got time? But I've decided Every time that happens to me now, every time I get a quiver in my liver, <laughs> I always assume it's God. Just in case it is. <laughs> I don't want to miss a God appointment. So I walked up to this lady and I said, excuse me, is your name Barbara? And she says, yes, it is. She says, I know who you are. She goes, you, you're J. John, aren't you? I, I said, yes, I am. And uh, I said, I, I, I'm a minister, uh, Barbara. I, I've heard you have a son who's sick. And she said, yes, I only have one son, and he's dying. And she said to me, can you go now to the hospice and pray for him? And I think... What does she think I do all day? <laughs> now, isn't that incredible? You know, I've just been walking, praying for revival. Now she's asking me to go to the hospice. And now my humanity kicks in. What does she think I do all day? 
or does she think I've got nothing to do? And then there's a moment, wait a minute, have I got anything more important than this? I said, of course I'll go. So, Killy and I, we have to walk home, we have to pick up the car, we have to drive to the hospice, we have to find where he is, we find him. Now, her son is 32 years of age. He's sleeping. So, Killy goes, all right, look, we know where he is now. Let's go and we'll come back later. And I said, no, I'm not, I'm not coming back later. So I kicked the bed really hard. <laughs> and I really hurt myself. You know, like when you dead leg your leg, it was like... Anyway, he wakes up, he wakes up like this. Right? And he looks, he looks at me. And I said, his name's Johnny. And I said, hello, Johnny. I said, um, I, I just met your mother. And um, uh, I'm a reverend. I said, and your mother asked me to come and pray for you. I said, would you like that? And he, he stared me out. He's, he just, I'll just look at this gentleman now. He did this. <laughs> Isn't that awkward? It's awkward. I was like, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, this is uncomfortable. And he just kept looking at me. And then he said this. I would rather have a hug. So Killy and I, we bent down and he kind of lifted himself up and we hugged each other, the three of us. And then he started crying and then we started crying and then he let go and we laid him back down. I said, look, Johnny, do you want the prayer anyway? He said, look, I'm an atheist, but if you need to pray, go ahead. <laughs> so I did. I did. So I put my hand on his heart, and I prayed inside. Inside. I didn't pray outside. I didn't get all kind of Pentecostal about it and charismatic about it. Oh, she came on a Honda. I didn't do anything like that. No, 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 no. I didn't do any of that. I didn't show any kind of enthusiasm out there. It was inside, and inside I just said, Lord, he needs a miracle. Just open the eyes of his heart. I, I, he didn't know what I prayed, and then I said, Amen. And then I spoke to him for a bit. Now, before someone is a believer, a follower of Jesus, they're in minus territory, okay? And then when you become a believer, you cross a line, you receive Christ, you're born again, and you're in positive territory. Before you're a believer, you could go up to minus 100, he was minus 100. And I spoke to him, and then I said to him, Johnny, would you like me to visit you again? He says, I really would love you to come. So I kept going, and we would dialogue, we would talk. I would endeavor to disentangle his misinformation, his misunderstandings. I'd go, now he's minus 90. I'd go back again, he's minus 80. I'd go back again, he's minus 70. I could see it. I keep going, he's minus 50. I keep going, minus 30, minus 20, minus 10. And I went, and he was in a lot of pain. 
And I didn't feel it was appropriate to really try and dialogue with him. And I, I just stood by him, and I was just praying for him. But his countenance changed. Something happened. Anyway, I, I went home. Early the next morning, his mother knocks on our door, opened the door, and she said he died last night. She said, Could you, would you preach at the funeral? I said, of course I'll preach at the funeral. Now, the mother is a new ager. And she's asking me to preach at the funeral. Now, I didn't realize he was famous, Johnny Sadassi. I didn't know that. I, I meet so many people all the time. Half the time, I don't know who they are, right? He was a really famous nightclub DJ in London. 800 people at the funeral. I'm the preacher. <laughs> I finished preaching, okay? I stepped down. As I stepped down, I'm mobbed. I'm literally mobbed by people. I, I, there's people here. They're trying to talk to me. People are, trying, are pulling my arm, and they're trying to get my attention. Reverend J. John, Reverend J. John, what did you mean that you can go to heaven via King's Cross? We've got an underground station <laughs> in London. We have an underground station called King's Cross. And I said, you can go to heaven if you're willing to go via King's Cross. <laughs> the cross of the king. So all these unbelievers are going, what do you mean? How can you get there? How, wh wh how do you get a ticket for King's Cross? <laughs> now, let's backtrack. Let's backtrack. Killy and I, all we're doing is walking around our Jerusalem praying. You see, praying leads to caring. And people do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. They don't care how much we know. They actually want to know how much do we actually care. And the thing is, I'm just walking around praying, praying, your kingdom come, your will be done. I get a prompting of the Spirit. Go and speak to that woman. Go and see her son. Speak to 800 people about Jesus. You see, people sometimes say, well, how does it work? Well, just start praying. When you get a prompting, just follow through. Follow through. Now, our next door neighbors, not, they're not followers of Jesus. They call Killy and I the neighbors from heaven. <laughs> that's what they call us, the neighbors from heaven. Well, that's, that's better than being called the neighbors from the other side, isn't it? <laughs> and um, I came back from a meeting. I came back from a meeting. So, and Killy said to me oh, that uh, the, the lady next door had had a stroke, okay? And she was admitted into hospital. But the, her husband, he also had some health issues, and he asked Killy, he said to Killy, oh, Killy, can you and John put me to bed every night? 
So I come back from the meeting. Killy goes, oh, Alec has asked us to put him to bed every night. I said, what does every night mean? She says, I think it means every night. I said, no, 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 no. It can't mean every night. I mean, I'm a really busy person. Well, I think it's every night for the next few nights. Every night? Now, wait a minute. I'm passionate about reaching the whole world. Do you know, it would be easier for me to bypass Jerusalem, bypass Judea, bypass Samaria. Oh, I'll just go to Australia and tell someone about Jesus and forget my neighbours. So he asked us to go round at 10 o'clock. So we go round, he's very grateful, we help him, we put him to bed. The next night, I said to Killy, hey, let's go round at 9.30. And Killy goes, no, 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 he said 10 o'clock. I said, I know, but he's been home alone all day. So we arrive at 9.30, and he's like, oh, you're early. We said, oh, well, we thought we'd just come and have a little chat before you go to bed. <laughs> he loved it. It was like having a drink from a fire hydrant. The next night, I said to Killy, let's go nine o'clock. People don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. His wife, who'd had the stroke, fell into a coma. She's then transferred from the local hospital where we live to the hospital in Oxford, a renowned hospital called the John Ratcliffe. The daughter comes round and says to us, I've just, we've just met with the consultants, and the consultants said that um, Joyce has no brain activity at all. And so we've decided with the consultants that after five days, we're going to switch off the machine, the life support machine, so she can die. So Killy says to the daughter, can my husband and I, can we visit your mother before you do that? And the daughter said, please would you do that because my mother was so fond of you. Now, because of my schedule, the only day I could go was the fifth day. So we're in the car, we now got to drive to Oxford and I'm in a bit of a bad mood because I'm like, I can't believe it. She was in the local hospital, like five minutes away. Now we've got to drive an hour. Have you noticed that evangelism is not always convenient? <laughs> it isn't always convenient, is it? And then you've got to go to another hospital that you're unfamiliar with in another city, and then you've got to park, and it's all a bit stressful. Anyway, by the time we get there, I'm pretty exhausted. She's in intensive care. She's in this private room. So we walk into the room and I, I start speaking to her. Hello, Joyce. I said, it's the neighbors from heaven. <laughs> and she's got tubes everywhere, everywhere. Now, the following day, they're gonna switch off the life support machine. So I said, look, Joyce, I've come, we've come today to pray together, okay? I, I mean, I thought I'll go and give her the last rites. Uh, but I said, now we're going to pray, Joyce. So look, I'll, I'll take hold of your hand. And I'm talking to her now. But I mean, she had tubes everywhere. So I take hold of her hand. I hold Killy's hand. Killy holds her other hand. And I said, now, Joyce, 
Killy and I will start praying the Lord's Prayer. And, you know, if you'd like to join in. <laughs> so we start praying. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And when we said your kingdom come, she woke up. It was scary. It was. <laughs> no, it was. I have to say, it was scary. Because it was a bit like, huh? You know, like that. So, ah! Anyway, so, we go back, we go back, and I say to her husband, I said, Alex, she woke up. He goes, no, she didn't. I said, well, she did, actually. He says, no, she didn't. I said, she did. She didn't. I said, she did. Well, it didn't really matter, because 10 days later, she came home. She's still alive. Now, look, look. Now, I told you two different stories there. I told you one about Johnny Sadassi, and I've told you one about our neighbor. Look, we live in a world of miracle and mystery, okay? This is the world in which we live in. You may have heard me say the other day, you know, we Christians are an Easter people living in a Good Friday world, but it feels like Easter Saturday. Look, I, I prayed for Johnny to be healed, and he passed away. I, I don't, I just got to leave that with Jesus, yeah? We only prayed the Lord's Prayer. I didn't actually pray for Joyce to be healed. We didn't even finish the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> we only prayed half. And the Lord did it. Look, just be a prayer. Just be a channel of God's grace. Leave the outcome to the Lord. Just leave the outcome to the Lord. It's up to the Lord to do what he wants to do. But it just, it gives me an encouragement that Joyce can wake up um, and she's still alive today. And, you know, it gives me a confidence to expect. There was um, a missionary called William Carey who had a motto, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And I, and I think I have a greater expectancy uh, that God can do anything. And I'm not going to impose it on anybody, but there's no reason why I can't personally expect it for God to do it. Praying, caring. Now, of course, we can't care for everybody, but we can care for somebody. Now, I know many of you are doing this anyway, but I just want to kind of reinforce it. Keep praying. Keep caring. And thirdly, keep sharing. Sharing the gospel. Articulating the gospel. Explaining the gospel. Explaining your story and how your story intersects with his story. We all have a story. You know, in a court of law, 
you have a witness. And the witness gets up and says, well, look, let me tell you what I know. Let me tell you what I know. To be honest, a witness does not even have to rehearse it. You don't have to rehearse it. You just tell the truth. That's what a witness does. A lawyer gets up and presents the facts in such a convincing manner to get the jury to make a decision. Every single one of us is a witness. We are a witness. Now, I, I'm an evangelist. I'm like the lawyer. I take the facts of Christianity and I present the facts in such a convincing manner to get the jury to make a decision. That's what evangelists, that's one of the things that evangelists do. We're proclaimers of the good news of the gospel. But every single one of us, including myself, we are witnesses. We've been instructed to go into God's orchard. God's orchard is the world. And we check the fruit. That's what we do. We're the fruit checkers. If the fruit is ripe for picking, what do you do? You pick it. Because if you don't pick the fruit that's ripe for picking, one of two things happens. One, it overripes, falls to the ground and dies. Or two, the Jehovah's Witnesses pick it. <laughs> they pick it. Now, if you walk around the town center, the Jehovah's Witnesses, did you see them? The, how many corners are they? They're out there in the cold. They're out there to talk to people. And we've got the gospel. Why aren't we telling people? You see, if we don't pick the fruit, the Jehovah's Witnesses will. The Mormons will. Everybody else will. So there's a sense of urgency about this, about sharing the good news, cultivating the web of relationships we've already got with those with our neighbors, our family, our friends, our colleagues, sharing that good news. I went to do a mission, a university mission. In fact, it was at Sydney University. And um, um, the largest indoor auditorium was too small. We were we were getting about 4,000 students coming to the meetings. So we had to move them outside. And um, after a meeting, uh, someone was talking to me. And this girl comes along, interrupts us rudely, like really rudely. And she said to me, I hated what you said. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. She said, church ruins people's lives. So I said, I'm really sorry that you feel that. I said, look, have you got, have you got some time? And she's like, why? I said, look, if you've got some time, can we go now and have a coffee together? 
And she's like, I don't know. I said, well, look, I'm not going to wait here all day. Do you want to go or not go? She's like, let's go. <laughs> so, so we go to a, co a coffee shop on the campus. We get the coffee, we sit down, and I say to this girl, I say, why, why are you so angry? And it, it's like all this vomit comes out. Like, and I, I, I don't argue with her. I just listen to her. And then I apologize. I apologize. And I say, I'm so sorry. I said, listen, isn't medicine good? It's good, isn't it, medicine? She says, yes. I said, but a lot of mistakes have been made in the name of medicine. Yes, but we don't throw the whole of medicine out because of the mistakes that have been made in the name of medicine. And I said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I just kept going, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I, okay, that was a Monday. I said, come and hear me Tuesday, and we'll go and have coffee. And she didn't want to commit, but she came, we went for coffee. I said, come and hear me Wednesday, and we'll go for coffee. She came, we went for coffee. I said, come and hear me Thursday, and we'll go for coffee. She came, we went for coffee. I said, there's one more meeting, Friday. It's the last one. Come on Friday, and we'll go for coffee. She came on Friday. Friday, she received Christ. Now, that girl's name is Christine Kane. Now, if you Google Christine Kane, you will discover that she is probably one of the most influential preachers in the world today. She runs a ministry called A21, one of the largest Christian anti-human trafficking ministries in the whole world. Five coffees. Five coffees. Five coffees. I saw her recently. I spent the day with her. She's a dynamo. Huh? I know. But do you know what she did? She went and bought the talks. And she transcribed the talks that I'd given at the university. She memorized all the talks. She joined a youth organization called Youth Alive. And she toured Australia giving my talks. <laughs> and she said to me, Jay John, they work. <laughs> Five coffees. You see, sometimes you just gotta. I was doing a mission at Cambridge in England. And we were using multiple venues at Cambridge. And there was a coffee shop that we would visit. And the lady that was running the coffee shop, um, we told her about what we were doing. And she was quite curious. Oh, what, 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 what are you all doing? And we told her what we were doing in Cambridge. Oh, she goes, you know, that's interesting. And uh, I said, well, you ought to come to one of the meetings. Oh, no, she said, no, no, I'm not, I'm not interested. I said, well, come anyway. 
Oh, no, she said, no, 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 I, I don't really believe it. I said, well, come anyway. Oh, she says, no, it's not really my thing. I said, well, come anyway. She says, I don't want to come. I said, well, come anyway. She said, look, I don't want to come. I said, well, just come anyway. Just come anyway. So she tells the story that she went home after a day of work and she's exhausted. She sits with her mother. They're going to watch some television. And then she turns to her mother and says, Mom, I'm going to go to a Christian meeting. She cycles three miles to get to the meeting. And there, there was some, some people singing. It wasn't worship. It was like songs being sung. But she felt that the songs spoke to her. And then there was a piece of drama. And she thought, that's my life. And then I got up and I just gave, a, I think, a 10-minute talk about how to know Jesus. And I said, if you'd like to follow Jesus, get up out of your seat, out of the roads, come and stand here at the front. She was the first person to stand at the front. I was so impressed. She changed her mind. I married her. <laughs> you know, come anyway. You know, let's, let's show some enthusiasm. Let's show people that we actually believe this we actually care about people's destiny we really care about their destiny and you know okay you're going to do it in a different way i i'm not asking you to be me i know i'm greek i'm over the top and you know and all of that i understand I understand but take these principles and just say yes i'm going to be be intentional in praying for my friends, my neighbours, my colleagues. I'm going to be intentional in praying in my Jerusalem. You know, wherever you live, if you live here, just walk the streets, pray the streets. Pray, pray for an awakening. Pray for a, a revival. Whatever, you know, pray. Pray, pray, pray care, show love, care for people, care for people. We went to a breakfast place. It was recommended. <coughs> we went. I couldn't believe how rude they were to us. They were, and we'd heard that this is supposedly the friendliest town in America. And I was like, I cannot believe this woman is paid to be nice to us, but she's rude. So I asked for crispy bacon. She says, I'll make sure it's crispy. And she bought, brought it. It was black. She was making a point. You know, but the, her attitude, the way that she spoke to us. And, and, and I, excuse me, could, could we order? Wait a moment. And it's like, there's nobody else in the restaurant. <laughs> we were the only ones. And she's like really rude to us. And so 
we're trying to be kind. We're just trying to be kind. We're just trying to be kind. And I, I said to Kim, don't leave her a tip. <laughs> she doesn't deserve it. And Killy goes, I'm going to double the gratuity. And I'm, I'm going to be generous to her. I'm going to be kind to her. We don't know what kind of a day she's having, do we? I remember being in this supermarket, and, and we just bought a few, few little groceries, not many, about six. And all the lines to pay... They were long lines, long lines. Ah, but there was one little section, one little section, you know, 10 items or less. The express checkout. Yes, we've only got six. Let's go to that one. Great. And then I'm counting what the person in front of me's got. They've got 11. And I'm feeling, this is an injustice. It says 10. This is an injustice. I've got to report this to the manager. You know, it's like, what is wrong with us? Anyway, so then we're in the slowest line possible. All the other lines, they're moving. They're moving. Ours is not moving because there's an incompetent person doing the thing. She doesn't know what she's doing. And then the little piece of paper had run out. And she didn't know how to put the other one in. Anyway, so I'm like, I cannot believe it. And then I, I just felt this conviction, this real conviction in my heart. What are you thinking? By the time I got there, I'd repented. I'd made restitution. I... And then I said to the lady, oh, you're doing such a good job. Do you know something? I would never know how to put that roll in that machine. You did a great job. I said, well done for being so patient. And, um, and I said some other nice things. She started crying. What kind of a, you know, she probably doesn't want to work there. That's probably the only job she could get. What's it like at home? And I, and I, and I felt really convicted, you know. So the, and I thought, right, next time I go, I'm going to make sure I only get 10 or less items so I can speak to her again and be kind to her. Praying, caring, sharing. We've all got a story to tell. Let's tell that story. Let's tell that story. Let's sow the seed. Let's invite people to come at various times to our churches. You know, come on, Easter, great time to invite people to come. Christmas, great time to invite people to come. There are certain times when it's appropriate to invite them. Do what we can to help people on their journey of faith. Praying, caring, sharing. I've, I've, I've written more, all the Bible stuff that goes with all of that, and, you know, um, I, do, I do know the Bible, and um, no, but, you know, if you want to dig deeper and get the biblical passages and verses and application, um, 
there's this. And um, if you're a church leader, there is a, this comes in another version, and it comes in a course, a six-session course. Um, and you, you, you can order that off canonjjohn.com. And, you know, dig into it, have a look, and see what you can do. You know, one of the ways of sharing the gospel, I, when I became a Christian as a student in London, um, I used to give out little books to people. Uh, I used to give out John Stott booklets, Michael Green booklets, books, uh, David Watson booklets, books. I used to give them out all the time, and I used to say, oh, can I give you this? Have a read of this, and let's have a coffee and talk about it. That was my way of sowing a bit of seed and, and engaging with people and trying to engage and, and just sowing resources into people's hands. And, and I will give people, people who are serious about inquiring, I say, can I give you this book about Jesus Christ? Would you, would you take the time to have a read and then let's talk about it? You know, and I, I, I give them all the time to people. All the time I'm giving this to people. I remember I, um, I was in Gaza, and I was with Yasser Arafat. And uh, um, I had the opportunity to go there and meet Hamas. And, and I said to I said, Yasser, I didn't say Yasser, actually. I said, President Yasser. I said, can I give you this book about Jesus Christ, the greatest leader and reconciler to be born in Palestine? Yeah. No, it wasn't this book, but it was another book on Jesus. And he went, oh, Jesus. And I thought, yeah, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. You know? And then after my meeting with Yasser Arafat, I then went and met with the president of Israel, and I gave him a book about Jesus, and then I met with the chief rabbi of Israel, the whole world. And I said to the chief rabbi, chief rabbi, you know the messianic prophecies? He said, yes, yes. I said, how many are there? He said, 300. I said, no, there's 322. He said, yes, 322. That's right. I said, chief rabbi, why don't we sit together in a coffee shop? I'll read one, you read one. I'll read one, you read one, till we've read all 322 messianic prophecies. And then I'll say to you, does that remind you of anyone? You know, so I don't know what your world is like, but I get these opportunities. And so when I get these opportunities, I'm, I do what I can. You know, I'll give them a book. I, I talk to them. I preach to them. They get me to preach to them. Every time I used to visit Yas Arafat, he'd say, preach me a sermon. You know, we got, we got a whole load of Hamas outside with machine guns, and, and I'm there, you know, and I'm thinking I'm going to be abducted. We, there's, there's a billionaire in, in Britain, he's very, very famous, and um, he's not a Christian, and I felt God say to me, go and introduce him to me. So I wrote to him. I said, uh, dear mister, I'm a reverend, can I come and see you? And he replied, he replied, I get a letter back, uh, dear Reverend J. John, no. <laughs> and he signs it. I get the actual letter. Anyway, six months go by, I think of him again. So I write to him again, he writes back, Dear Reverend J. John, no. So I thought, okay. Anyway, the following year, 
I think of him again. I write to him again. He replies, no. Killy says, stop. <laughs> I said, listen, I'm only doing it when I feel it. Two weeks after the third no, he phones me up. Because my number's on the, on the left. He phones me up. He says, when can you come and see me? So I made an appointment to see him. Killy and I go. They usher Killy and I into the Playboy room. The room is called Playboy. The wall is covered with Playboy covers. The whole wall. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> and he walks in. Killy says to him, oh, we won't be taking any photographs in here. <laughs> and he's like, why not? And she goes... <laughs> anyway, Killy's like, John, what are you going to say to him? I don't know. Anyway, we sit down, and I said to him, Mr. Da-da-da, I said, listen, I'm, I don't want to waste your time. I know you're a very busy man, but I've come here for one reason only, to introduce you to Jesus Christ. He said, I'm an atheist. I said, God doesn't believe in atheists. <laughs> so he said, wait a minute, wait a minute. He picks up the phone. He phones his wife. He says, stop what you're doing. Come down here now. So his wife comes in, sits down, and he goes, go on then. Go on. Convince me. So I'm trying to discern as I'm talking. You know, I don't want to outstay my welcome. And about an hour goes by, and I say to him, I think we're done for today. Can I pray for you? He goes, prayer doesn't work. I said, well, let me pray for you. He goes, go on then. So I put my hand on his heart, and I just say a little prayer inside. And then after that... He says, when can you come again? So we went back again, did session two, and then he invited us for dinner at Christmas, and he took us to a restaurant. And it was so f funny, because uh, we sat down in the restaurant, and he goes, right, I want to know Jesus' address. Where was he born? <laughs> I said, well, I can't give you the address. <laughs> anyway, Three hours later, for three hours, we're discussing Jesus. Last week, he emailed me again to arrange to have dinner again. Okay, that's, that's, you know that phrase, random acts of kindness? Well, why don't we just do random acts of evangelism? I mean, that one is a total random one. I mean, listen, I'm, I, I'm not interested in his money. He knows that. He knows that. I have no mixed motives, no agenda. All I want to do is introduce him to Jesus. If that man came to Jesus, he could buy the National Health Service. <laughs> he could transform Britain. He could transform Britain. That man could transform Britain financially. Just one man, richest man in Britain. Yeah? And it all because I had a prompting, and I wrote to him. And he wrote back and said, no, no, no. And then he phoned me. So I'll just do what I can. Help the people who are in my Jerusalem, people in my Judea, in my Samaria. There were two Jews that met. I'm concluding. One said to the other, how are you? He says, I'm not good. Why? He goes, my son, he's become a Christian. No, yes, yes. <laughs> he says, my son, too. He's become a Christian. No. Yes. 
What do we do? They go and see the rabbi. Rabbi, rabbi, we've come to you. We have serious problems. Our sons have become Christians. The rabbi goes, no, my son too. He's become a Christian. No, yes, yes. What do we do? Let's go and see the chief rabbi. So they all go to the chief rabbi. Chief rabbi, we've come to you with our problems. The chief rabbi says, what are your problems? This is all our sons. They've all become Christians. And then they heard, no, my son too. He's become a Christian. No, chief rabbi, what do we do? Chief rabbi, he thinks for a moment. In a situation like this, we bow down to Yahweh, the Holy One. And we call on the name of Yahweh and we ask for his help. So they bowed, Yahweh, 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 Holy One. We come to you with our problems. They heard from heaven, what are your problems? All our sons have all become Christians. And then they heard from heaven, my son too. (laughs) God had one son. And his son was a missionary. You know, I just want to be like Jesus. So look, don't worry about what you can't do. Just do the little that you can do. And God will take it and he will use it. And we're all little links in the chain. Okay, as I conclude, I I want to pray two prayers. Okay, the first prayer I I would like to pray for um, is for any of you that have a health concern. I would like to pray a prayer. And then after that, I would like to pray a prayer of impartation, that the Lord will impart upon all of us a a fresh um, touch of his holy presence to empower us uh, to be witnesses. Now, if you have a health concern or uh, someone you love has a health concern, put your hand on your heart and that's to either represent yourself or to represent someone else. Lord, you've, you've heard our conversation this evening, and you know each of us. You know our hearts, you know our minds, you, and you know what is concerning us. And you know those health issues that we're battling with. And we're asking you, Jesus, as the great physician, to release your healing presence and your healing balm. Cleanse from our bodies sickness and infection and disease. Where there has been any kind of degeneration, we ask for regeneration and restoration. Would you grant us healing in our bodies, in our minds, in our hearts? So bathe us, Lord, we pray, in your holy, sacred, healing balm. Minister to us as we sleep this night. Give us a tangible sign of your healing grace. And we pray and we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I just encourage you, you know, if you have a health concern that medically cannot be sorted, just, you know, you don't even have to use words, but sometimes you just say, Jesus, 
I'm just reaching out to you, the great physician. Um, you know, just keep, keep on. I, I'm a great believer in, in push. P-U-S-H, pray until something happens. And just leave the outcome to the Lord. Um, but I would like now to pray a prayer of uh, commissioning and impartation. If you're able to stand, please stand. If you're not, please stay seated. Thank you. Lord, thank you for this diocese. And I'm, I'm honored uh, that the bishop is here. Thank you for those that you have called and entrusted with this wonderful calling of enriching your church and extending your kingdom. Lord, thank you for all the priests, the leaders that you have called to serve. Thank you that every single one of us here, you have called to be a witness. And Lord, we do confess, and I confess, that I, I've fumbled and I have failed many, many times and I've ignored your promptings, and I'm sure that's true of many of us. Lord, would you forgive us where we have failed? And don't allow that to block our progress for the future. Set us free from the past. We pray now that you would empower us afresh by your Holy Spirit. And we say, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Empower us to be your witnesses. And we pray that you will send us out in the power of your Spirit to live and work, to rest and play, and to do it all to your praise and glory. May we be your channels of good news and grace as we commit ourselves to being more intentional in praying and in caring and in sharing. And we pray this prayer in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please take your seats. Just as I step down, I really hope, I do hope that um, uh, you've been encouraged and inspired tonight. And um, I just, you know, it's great to meet so many wonderful people here. And um, I, as Killy and I have walked around uh, the town these last couple of days, you know, we, we, we have a great sense that a spiritual awakening is coming. That's our sense. It feels fertile, and um, we really will be praying. 
uh, for you as, as a diocese, as churches and as leaders, um, that in, these, in this season ahead, you will see uh, a greater spiritual awakening. And it, um, if any of these uh, books are helpful to you, uh, please have a look at them afterwards. But again, thank you to Jeff, thank you to St. Philip's, uh, thank you to the Anglican Institute, to Peter, um, for hosting us these days. Thank you very, very much. <laughs>